Thank you, Tom. If you would turn with me to 2 Peter. We've been in uh, a small portion of a small letter for several weeks now. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look again this morning at verses 2 through 15. We took a break last week, so I want to remind you if you are new or if you've forgotten uh, what we're looking at here in 2 Peter chapter 1. I believe what we see here is a strategy for disciple making, a strategy for maturing as individual believers. And I don't want us to miss the importance of this passage of Scripture. In fact, this passage of Scripture is so important that the Apostle Peter made it clear in this Scripture that he was going to commit himself to reminding the church of these very things until the day he was put to death for Jesus Christ. So if it's that important to the Holy Spirit, that important to the Apostle Peter, we need to listen carefully. And not only do we need to listen carefully, but we need to apply this. And we we need to trust God for His pathway to maturity. We need to trust God for His pathway to, to making disciples who are mature in the faith. This is what He's given us. If you look in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Paul's right there. Peter is telling us, he's telling this early church that God has provided us with everything that we need. He's given us everything that we need for life, for godliness, along with precious and magnificent promises so that we can become partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is found in the world. Verse number five. Now, for this very reason also, because of these things Peter just stated, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self control. And in your self control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Here is Peter's strategy for maturing. It is for me, it's for you, it's for this early church, it's for believers everywhere to add to their faith, moral excellence, and to their moral excellence, knowledge, and to their knowledge, self-control, and to their self-control, perseverance, and to their perseverance, godliness, and to their godliness, brotherly affection, and to their brotherly affection, love. This is his strategy for growing as a believer. This is his strategy for making disciples. This is his strategy that we need to take heed to over these several weeks as we're looking at this passage of Scripture. Because of the great graces that God has poured out on us as expressed in verses 3 and 4, we need to apply all diligence ourselves, take responsibility for adding these qualities one upon the other. Verse number 8, why? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful 
in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. If these qualities are yours and they are increasing, you will not be useless. You will not be unfruitful. You won't find yourself blind or short-sighted or at risk of falling away from the faith. But you will have the kingdom abundantly supplied to you. And because of this, verse number 12, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. We've been walking through those qualities that Peter identifies for us in verses 5 through 7. As we consider this passage of Scripture and the importance of this passage of Scripture for for spiritual maturity and for spiritual disciple-making, we've been looking at each one of these qualities week by week. And since we took off last week, since I was away last week, I want to just remind you of these qualities that we've already seen as as we... culminate in the quality that we're going to look at this morning. Number one, we saw that the first quality mentioned is faith. Now, he does it in kind of a a passing manner because he presumes that this church that he's had contact with already has faith. So he says, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, the faith that you possess. Do not miss the foundational nature of faith. There's no need in you trying to be diligent to add moral excellence to your life or knowledge to your life or self-control to your life until you know for certain that you have faith, that you have heard the biblical gospel, that you have understood the biblical gospel, that you have embraced the biblical gospel, and that you have been transformed by the working of the gospel of Jesus. Have you been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Has your life been radically altered by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you have this foundation of faith in your life to build upon? If not, that is ground zero. If not, that is step number one. Know and understand and believe and embrace and be transformed by the gospel message of Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith, be saved. The first quality is faith. The second quality that flows out of faith and is added to faith is moral excellence. He says, for this very reason also, in verse number 5, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And we spend an entire sermon fleshing out what moral excellence looks like in the life of a believer. And here's how we defined it. Moral excellence is moral energy. Moral energy that courageously, vigorously, and actively lives out the faith with great fortitude, just like the early church did in the face of continual opposition, suffering, and persecution. We need that to be added to our faith. We need that to be increased in our lives. We need that to flow out of our faith, a moral energy that courageously, vigorously, and actively lives out the faith with great fortitude like that early church did in the midst of great suffering and persecution. Thirdly, we looked at the quality of knowledge. He says, and in your moral excellence, verse number five, knowledge. And this knowledge, we said and we saw, is referring to the knowledge of Jesus, not just any knowledge, not just a broad knowledge, but, but a more specific knowledge, a knowledge of Christ. If you back up to verse number 2, 
in 2 Peter chapter 1, he begins this passage of Scripture by saying, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in what? The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Skip down to verse number 8. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 2. If you turn over a page to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20, you will see that if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, how did he end the passage we were, or, or what did he say in the passage we were looking at? That we need to be partakers of the divine nature, escaping the corruption of the world. Now, in chapter 2 of the same letter, in verse 20, he says, after you've escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of Jesus. And then in chapter 3, even, of Second Peter, in chapter 3, verse 18, he says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge, grow, increase in the, na- in the, in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter makes it clear throughout this whole letter, when he speaks of knowledge, it is always tied to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we need to add to our faith moral excellence, moral energy, great fortitude. And we need to add to that moral excellence and fortitude a knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to know Him biblically. We need to know Him personally. And listen, we've covered every one of these in an entire sermon. So you can go back on Sermon Audio or on the church app or the website and you can listen to each of these qualities fleshed out in an entire sermon. Last time, we looked at the quality of self-control in verse number 6. And in your knowledge, he says... Self-control. So add to your knowledge self-control. And we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where the Apostle Paul painted for us a picture of the self-control and the discipline required of an athlete and how we should far surpass that as believers with something much more serious than a championship or a medal or a wreath. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we we read in verses 24 to 27, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable, we exercise self-control for an imperishable wreath. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body. And make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now we come this morning to the fifth quality of perseverance. In the second part of verse 6, and in your self-control, perseverance. We want to add to our faith moral excellence and to our moral excellence knowledge and to our knowledge self-control and to our self-control perseverance. That word, perseverance, is also translated as endurance. Endurance. It's also translated as patience. It's sometimes translated steadfastness. So perseverance, endurance, patience, steadfastness. That's what we need this morning to increase in if we're going to press on to maturity. There's three things that I want us to understand about this word, perseverance, this morning. First of all, perseverance doesn't give in. 
Perseverance doesn't give in. Perseverance comes out of two primary things. First of all, perseverance comes out of testing. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, James said this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials or various tests, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance steadfastness, patience, perseverance. It's that word that we're looking at this morning. The testing of your faith produces endurance. So let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be mature, so that you can be brought to maturity. Perseverance comes out of testing. Now think about the guy that's telling us to add perseverance to our self-control. It's a man by the name of Peter who actually told Jesus face to face, I will never leave you or forsake you or deny you. I will die with you. And then just a few moments later, he finds himself being tested by servant girl. And he crumbles under the testing. And he denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times in the most critical moment of Jesus' life. His faith was tested and he failed the test. But I can bet you that the next time he faced a test, whether it was a servant girl or a bystander or a Roman soldier himself, he was not going to fail again. Now he's saying you need to make certain that you add to your self-control, perseverance, endurance, steadfastness. You're going to need it. Perseverance comes out of testing. In the first London Baptist Confession of Faith, listen to what the authors of that confession wrote about perseverance. Those that have this precious faith wrought in them by the Spirit can never finally nor totally fall away. And though many storms and floods do arise and beat against them, yet they shall never be able to take them off that foundation and rock which by faith they are fastened upon but shall be kept by the power of God to salvation, where they shall enjoy their purchased possession, they being formerly engraven upon the palms of God's hands. Don't think that perseverance means you're working for your salvation. Well, I've got to be good enough. I've got to do good enough. I've got to stay the course. No, it's very clear. If we have been placed upon the rock by grace through faith, then the Lord Jesus Christ is going to hold us on that rock and He's going to do so by and through our perseverance. He's going to work in us and through us to persevere and endure in the faith. And some of that perseverance and endurance is increased and comes out of tests. Perseverance not only comes out of testing, but it comes out of tribulation. It doesn't give in to testing. It comes out of testing. It doesn't give in to tribulation. It comes out of tribulation. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Perseverance comes out of tribulation. It comes out of persecution. It comes out of suffering for the name of Jesus. In Luke chapter 21, verses 10 through 19, it says, He continued by saying to them, 
Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and in various places plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish, and listen to verse 19, by your endurance you will gain your lives. It's not by your endurance you'll save your life, or you'll save your physical life, or you'll get released. No, by your endurance and perseverance through such tribulation, you will gain your real life, your eternal life. Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end, persevered to the end, who will be saved. We've been placed upon the solid rock by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and by His grace He keeps us there, but by His grace He keeps us there through our perseverance, our steadfastness, our endurance in trial and in tribulation. I just received a message an email from some missionaries that we pray for on our plus one prayer guide who are in the Horn of Africa. I won't say the country. I won't say their names. But they're in the Horn of Africa in a very difficult place. And a brother and a sister, husband and wife, believers, were arrested for sharing the faith, sharing the gospel, spreading the word. Back in September. And yesterday they had a trial. They had been interrogated. They had been encouraged to repent of their conversion to Christianity and return to their former faith of Islam, which they refused to do over and over and over and over again. Yesterday they went to court. They stood before the judge. And they granted them a 14-day extension, which means they have 14 days to recant and turn back to Islam, which they have made very clear they have no intentions of ever doing. And the expectation is that if God does not work a miracle in 14 days when they go back to court, they will get the severest penalty in this country, which will be death. These are people who are alive right now. On This, this, isn't, this isn't somebody 2,000 years ago in the Bible. This isn't somebody over there distant that we have no connection to. These people are brothers and sisters in Christ who have been ministered to by people we've been praying for who could, two weeks from yesterday, be put to death because they will not turn away from their faith in Jesus Christ. And they could have avoided arrest if they just wouldn't have shared the gospel. They could have avoided death if they had just not shared the gospel. And I wonder how many of us will stand before Jesus and look Him in the eye and come to the realization that we had no fear of ever being put to death. Because we don't speak the gospel like we should. I don't speak the gospel like I should. Or Jesus, I couldn't share the gospel because I would have lost my job. Oh, that's okay. These two people over here just are looking at losing their life. 
And they're not being willing to back down. That's perseverance. That's endurance. That's steadfastness. That's spiritual maturity. They may not know as much as us. Possibly they may know more. They may not know as much of us as us. They may not have as many degrees as us. They may not have as many Sunday school lessons as us under their belt. They may not have as many Awana awards under their belt. They may not have as many seminary degrees or, or as much, many Puritan works on their shelves. But I'd venture to say they're more mature than any of us sitting in this park right this moment. We need to pray for them. And describing the one who perseveres, one commentator said that the one who perseveres faces without flinching the opposition of the world. The assaults of Satan and his emissaries, the tongue of slander or the tyrant's sword. It is not that he will not feel the pressure of the cross, but that his mind is undistracted and his spiritual fibers unrelaxed by secular indulgence. And he's able to bear it. Are you facing tests? Are you facing temptations? Don't give in. Listen, we need to, if we're facing tests and we're facing temptations and we're thinking about giving in, we need to reach back to our moral excellence. We need to reach back to our moral excellence, that moral energy that courageously, vigorously, and actively lives out the faith with great fortitude like the early church. And we need to take hold of that so that we can weather the storms of testing and tribulation and develop even more perseverance. You think these believers in the Horn of Africa that are facing death in two weeks could make it this far without moral excellence and fortitude? Grab on to it. Hold on to it. Don't give in. Secondly, perseverance doesn't give up. Don't give up concerning His return. Now, listen, if you look at the Greek, this word perseverance can also mean remaining behind. That's kind of odd when you think about it. This word perseverance carries with it the idea of remaining behind. But if you think about it, in a sense, we've been left here on earth by Jesus. He's gone on ahead of us. After many temptations, 40 days plus throughout his life, in every way he was tempted just as we are, but yet without sin. After many trials with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers constantly badgering him, and many sufferings, even death. He, he goes on before us and he's left his people behind until he comes again. He's left us behind to advance his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven until he comes again to set things right and set his kingdom up on earth. It is a patient, steadfast waiting for Jesus. In this left-behind state, we need patience. In this left-behind state, we need endurance. We need perseverance. We need steadfastness. One commentator claimed that the reason Peter focuses so much on perseverance and steadfastness in this letter is because there's a growing impatience with Jesus who continues to tarry. He continues to not return. Even in 2 Peter chapter 3, we find out that one of the themes of that chapter is those who are saying, where is the promise of His return? You've been talking about Him returning all this time. Where is the promise of His return? And the church is beginning to question, is Jesus ever going to come back? 
And Peter's saying, persevere, remain behind, be patient, be steadfast as we wait for his return, the day and hour of which we do not know. Now, this makes no sense to us. It makes no sense to us for two reasons, because we've let a series of books and movies shape our idea of what, it, what all the end times even means. So we have people afraid to, that they're going to put a chip in our hand to track us with. And that's the mark of the beast. Let me tell you, if a chip in your hand that they can track you with is the mark of the beast, you've already taken it because almost every single one of you has got a cell phone in their hand. Always in your hand or to your head. The Bible doesn't say a chip will be placed in some. That was a movie. But we're more familiar with movies than we are with the Bible. So we all of a sudden get this fear of Jesus coming back, and we're terrified by Jesus coming back. But listen, the early church wasn't terrified by Jesus coming back. They called it the blessed hope. They were looking forward to his return. They were anticipating his return. They were aggravated that he didn't come back quicker. And we're going, I'm glad he's not come back yet because, I mean, I'm scared. I'm afraid. It's supposed to be a blessed hope. On top of that, another reason many of us, this makes no sense to us, is because some of us, if we're honest, we're like, I hope he doesn't come back because I've got a new truck I want to buy. I got a new update I want to do on my house. I mean, I've got some vacation time I need to spend. I've got some things I want to enjoy in this life. Do you realize? Do you realize that when we think thoughts like that, we probably need to ask ourselves, are we even Christians? That we would choose the frivolous, temporal, earthly trash of this world over seeing Jesus. But it's true of us, is it not? So I don't even know how to apply this to us. Don't give up concerning His return. Most of us aren't waiting for it or anticipating it or looking forward to it. But Peter is telling the early church, don't give up. Patiently await His return. He is coming again. Anticipate His return. But don't give up. Romans 8.25 says, If we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Perseverance doesn't give up concerning His return. Perseverance doesn't give up concerning the reward. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36, You have need of endurance. You have need of perseverance, steadfastness, patience. You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. That's a looking forward. Persevere so that you can then receive what was promised. Endure so that you can receive the reward. Think about a guy in the Bible named Demas. You heard of Demas? He's in there. He's in the New Testament. We first encounter him, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. This is the first account of him chronologically that we see in the Bible. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 4.14, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. So we have a guy named Demas who has shown up on the scene and he's hanging out with the mission team. Okay? The second encounter we have with Demas is in Philemon 1.24. This is further along chronologically and we read, as do Mark. This is another um, goodbye in one of Paul's letters, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Now he's kind of moved from this guy hanging out here to a fellow worker. He's joined the team. 
But then the last encounter we have with Demas is in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. And Paul says, For Demas, having loved the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas, who loved the present world, deserted the mission. Rather than waiting on the return of Christ, rather than waiting on the future resurrection and the reward to come, he gave up and he went after the world that he really loved. Perseverance doesn't give up and it doesn't give in. Are you tempted to give up? Are you, do you find yourself doubting that Jesus Christ will ever return and set things right? Do you, do you find yourself doubting that it's really a wise investment to lay it all on the table for Jesus in this life, banking on what's to come in the life afterwards? Then you need to go back to your knowledge. Remember, it's knowledge of Christ. Biblical knowledge of Christ. Personal knowledge of Christ. And you need, to, you need to think on what you know of Jesus Christ biblically and personally. And you need to walk through the impatience. You need to walk through the doubts by faith in what we know of Christ, not what you feel. And let me just say, I lost a whole big portion of 21st century America when I said we need to walk by faith in what we know in Christ as opposed to what we feel. Because we are living in a world that is driven by emotion. Emotion wins the day. That's not Christianity. Christianity is grounded, stable, steadfast in the Word of God by faith. Third thing, perseverance doesn't give out. It doesn't give in, it doesn't give up, it doesn't give out. What do I mean by give out? There's a continual danger that we will find ourselves out of spiritual gas, so to speak. You ever get to that point where you're just like, I am just done. I'm buying 40 acres in an abandoned county. I'm putting a fence around it, and I'm hiding and just waiting on Jesus. I'm just done. You ever find yourself there? Listen to Matthew chapter 24, verses 11 to 13. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because... Lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Now let's keep this in context, okay? We see the one who endures, perseveres to the end will be saved, but let's keep it in context. The context is false prophets are going to arise and they're going to mislead many and lawlessness is going to increase. Lawlessness is going to increase. Listen, have you looked around lately? Evil is honored. Evil is honored and celebrated and called good by our society. A society which celebrates the death of infants in their most innocent state before they ever leave the womb. A society that does not value life from the womb to the tomb. A society that is raging against biblical marriage, biblical family, biblical order. A society that calls evil good 
And we could keep making the list. And a society that calls good evil. Now what happens when we look around and this type of lawlessness and absolutely illogical definition of good and evil begins to surface and we begin to see people who name the name of Jesus falling for the nonsense. We've got to understand many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. I'm going to tell you, many people in the churches, many pastors have been misled. Get caught up in the blogosphere. Get caught up in, in what our society considers virtuous rather than what the Bible considers virtuous. And they get misled. And lawlessness increased. And we celebrate lawlessness. And what does the Bible say? When that happens, most people's love will grow Cold. Now, our danger here is if we've avoided being misled and we see good as the Bible describes good as good and we just see evil as the Bible describes evil as evil and we've not fallen for the definitions of our culture and our society, what we can do is we can start feeling our love grow cold and we can start looking at the people who are being misled and start looking at them with disdain we can start looking at them with hatred we can start looking at them with anger we can start looking at our whole culture with anger and with frustration and with bitterness and our love will grow cold and we can say just forget it give me the 40 acres in the abandoned county and let me just live to myself Jesus said that they will know us by our what? By our love. And it's not just love during the easy times. It's not just love when uh, America seems like it's Christian, seems like it's Christian. It's not just love when everybody agrees and, and good is smiled upon and evil is frowned upon. It's not just love when people agree with us. It's love your enemies. So lawlessness arises and, and increases and our danger is that our love will begin to wane and our love will grow cold and will replace the love of Christ that we just sang about, the love of God that is so huge. Listen, you could, the, the song said you could fill an inkwell the size of the ocean and you couldn't write of the love of God. And we begin to see that wax cold in our lives. But the one who endures, the one who endures to the end, he's not misled. His love doesn't grow cold. The one who endures to the end will be saved. I know it's tiring. I know it's wearisome. I know it can even cause some anxiety as we look around. But we cannot let our love grow cold. We cannot run out of spiritual gas. We cannot give out. We need to reach back to our self-control. And when we are tempted to throw in the towel in this race, we need to remember that even athletes exercise great self-control to win a perishable temporal reward. Let us push even harder for ours. Hebrews 12, 1-3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, not the world, not presidential candidates, not November 3rd, not what's going on in our country. Fix our eyes on 
Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't give out. Don't give in, don't give up. Don't give out. Rather, persevere. It's crucial. It's crucial to persevere. 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. It is crucial for us to persevere and endure to the end because one of the ways we know whether or not a brother or sister is truly a believer is if they stay steadfast to the end. While steadfastness, perseverance, endurance flows naturally out of faith, moral excellence, knowledge, and self-control, it is something that Peter said we need to apply all diligence toward acquiring. And listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue, pursue, go after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. We have to go after this. We have to pursue this. How? How do we pursue this? I'm going to give you four very quick, I promise, very quick steps to take in pursuit of perseverance, okay? Very quickly. Number one, here's how you pursue perseverance, at least some of the ways. There may be more. I'm giving you four quick ones. Number one, Scripture intake. Scripture intake, Romans 15, 4, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We need the Scriptures You're not going to persevere in the face of trials and testing and lawlessness if you do not persevere in opening up your Bible and hearing what God has to say to you on a regular, consistent basis. I don't even know any other way to put it. Scripture intake. You have to be in the Scriptures. Stop reading your blogs, scrolling your Facebook posts, putting junk on Instagram constantly, and open your Bible. Get your face out of a text message and put it in the text. Just stop long enough to be in the Word. You're not going to persevere without Scripture intake. Secondly, prayer, Colossians 1, 9 through 11. Listen to what Paul writes. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. What are we praying? To ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. So we're praying for the attainment of steadfastness and patience. We have to be a prayer Spend time in Scripture. Spend time in prayer. Those those things are Christianity 101, guys. Number three, labor with purpose. Don't miss this one. Labor with purpose. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 says, He will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who, by perseverance in doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but they obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. We need to be persevering in doing good. 
Listen, if you are sitting on the sidelines and the, and the measure of your Christianity is you read the Bible, you pray, and you show up for church, that's not really sufficient to persevere faithfully. You need to be in the middle of laboring for the kingdom. You need to be doing good. You need to be working, bringing others along in their walk with Jesus or bringing others along in their walk to Jesus. Get busy doing something for the kingdom. Take your eyes off yourself and put your eyes on others. Labor with a purpose. And then fourthly and lastly, fellowship. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what the, the writer of Hebrews is telling us? He's telling us that if we are seeing the day draw near... If we're seeing things get serious around us, it just means we need each other more. It means we need the fellowship of the, of the saints more. And we need to be ahead of some people out down here, leading them along, stimulating them to love and good works. We need to have someone ahead of us that's spurring us on to love and good works. We need to be linking arms with people that we can encourage in the faith. We need the fellowship of the believers. And listen, one thing this COVID thing is going to do it's just going to train a whole lot of people not to come to fellowship, to worship together in the church. We just shut her down. We go online. Watch it in my PJs. That's just as good. No, it's not. I told somebody, one Sunday, I'm going to live stream from my living room and my recliner and my pajamas and preach to y'all. Return the favor. See how that goes over. It might be interesting. That's not sufficient. We need to make priority gathering together to worship, even if it's outside, even if it's waving from car window to car window. We need each other, and we need to put a high priority on worshiping together. And listen, if something like this can untrain you from coming together to fellowship, what we've just seen is not, oh, a whole lot of people have walked away from the faith. A whole lot of people have fallen out of the church. No, they never were there. It's just going to manifest more and more who is truly pursuing Jesus. Now, I'm not hammering on people who are truly sick or they're compromised in some way. Don't hear me doing that. You're hearing me hammer on people who have absolutely no excuse whatsoever other than they've watched too much of the news or they stayed up too late on Saturday night or they just don't feel like it who just sit at home Sunday after Sunday across our land. Listen, there's just a manifestation of who really who really's persevering in the faith who's walking closely with Jesus. Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. We need each other. Be taking in the Scriptures. Be in prayer. Labor with a purpose. And cling to the fellowship of the believers. And you'll have a better chance. Are you living a life of steadfastness, perseverance, and endurance? True believers don't walk away from the faith. They're characterized by perseverance. No one putting their hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
by our endurance will gain our lives. All through Scripture, we see perseverance. And perseverance doesn't come from pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but rather because of His grace through faith. It comes as a byproduct of saving faith. It comes as a byproduct of saving faith that, yes, must be developed. It, yes, it must be increased. But ultimately, it is a gift from God. And we need to ask ourselves as we end this morning, if we have received that gift, if we have truly the foundation of faith, if we and go back, we go back to that first London confession of faith where the author said, those that have this precious faith wrought in them by the Spirit can never finally or totally fall away. And though many storms and floods do arise and beat against them, they shall never be able to take them off the foundation and rock which by faith they are fastened up on. We need that faith to be true and a reality in our lives. Is it true of you? Do you know Jesus Christ? Does Jesus Christ know you? Has He written your name in the Lamb's book of life? Has He sealed you with the Holy Spirit? Have you heard the gospel that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but He humbled Himself and took on the form of humanity and He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. He went to that cross in order to pay the penalty for your sin, the penalty for my sin in full. He was buried in a barred tomb. He rose on Sunday morning so that you under the sound of my voice today if you hear the good news that Jesus has lived the life God demands of you and has died the death your sin deserves if you hear that you understand that you believe that and you embrace that in repentance and in faith you can be placed on that solid rock and you can persevere to the end do you know him If not, we want to invite you to turn from your sin and to put your trust and your faith in Him this morning to call upon His name until He gives you assurance that you know Him. I'm going to pray. After I pray, you can quietly be dismissed. There will be pastors at the fountain. If you want somebody to pray with you or, or nearby the fountain, you just go find one of them. If you need one of them to pray with you or talk with you more about what it means to follow Jesus, you do that after the prayer. On your way out, you can give an offering. We thank you for being with us this morning, and we pray that you would have faith, and that you would add to your faith moral excellence, and to your moral excellence knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to your self-control perseverance as we seek to mature as followers of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for holding us firmly and keeping us secure in your hand and stirring us to persevere and endure and strengthening us to persevere and endure and to remain steadfast. In the face of trials, in the face of temptation and tribulation, Help us to look to your return, to look for the reward, and to not give out, not to give up, not to give in, but to be in your word, be in prayer, be at work, and be together as we wait on you. God, if there's a person here who doesn't know you, if there's a person here who's not been truly, radically transformed and born again, by the work of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict them now, that you would stir them now, that you would grant them repentance, you would grant them faith, that you would draw them to yourself. Bring them to repentance and faith. 
and salvation this morning. And we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.